Amen, amen. Good morning, Family Church. Man, it's good to be here. Uh, just uh, appreciate you all coming out. I don't mind the weather, but yeah, it's not my favorite. And uh, just want to remind you to please RSVP for that starting point. We buy Cardos or Donatos depending on the month, and we want to make sure we have enough pizza to stuff your faces and your kids' faces. So uh, make sure you sign up for that. We'll meet immediately after service next week, and I uh, look forward to getting to know uh, any of you that are new with us better and uh, meet your kids. And uh, we take about, uh, we're under an hour usually and uh and so just want to welcome you to that so who watched the national championship game that we should have been in but weren't okay very good i watched half of it before like i was in and out of consciousness because like i i pass out around 8 30 or 9 most nights and uh so so it's like okay and i was really disheartened at the beginning of the game because after we lost to a certain clemson I really wanted them to pay dearly. Like, I would have been satisfied with like a five touchdown spread at the end of that game. Like, I wanted like, I wanted real tears on the field. Like, I wanted, you know, I wanted some agony and, and things like that. And I do appreciate that they blame refs when they made fun of us for blaming refs after. Anyways, anyways, anyways. What do we wish we could do to our rivals? Like when we have, like I'm going to keep this in the football context just for a minute. Stay with me, those of you that aren't sports fans. But when you are getting jacked up for the game coming up, and especially when it's against your nemesis. Uh, for the Buckeyes, it's the team up north, even though they haven't put up much of a fight lately. Um, but then we seem to have a lot of trouble with the Clemson Tigers. But there's certain games that we get a little bit more excited about. Uh, a little, uh, some games that we get a little more nervous about, like going to Happy Valley in a whiteout situation. We, we tend to be about 50-50 in those situations. And so we get really nervous, but what do we wish would happen in those circumstances? What do we want the score to be in our dreams of dreams? Like, we would want it to be like, if we could ever hang like a hundred to zero on one of these guys, we'd love it. Like it would just be fantastic if it was just pitch and catch, run down the field. That being said, what do we realistically expect, especially when a rival is on our caliber of team? Are we expecting the 50 point blowout? No, in some cases we're not even like betting lunch on it like we're, we're nervous about the outcome and and so when we are going up against a good team and our coaches prepare what are they trying to do how do you coach against another great team and great players how do you coach against that because you're not realistically walking into the field expecting it to be easy and you know that there's going to be a bunch of trials between you and, and hopefully the win that you're walking out with. So how do you stop a great team or in some cases specifically great players? I'll stay with football just a little bit longer. It's context I understand and hopefully it helps you. So teams will come in or that we will play teams and they usually have a great player sometimes. Like we had Wisconsin with the running back this year. Sometimes it's a running back that usually gets a gazillion yards a game what do we do going up against a team like that? Stay with me, those of you that aren't football fans. Don't snooze. Don't snooze on me. 
we try to take out their key player. If they are based on a running back, then we want to stop and minimize that. So when Saquon Barkley, former Penn State player, comes in and we hold him to like nothing and he's used to getting 200 yards, it's like happy dance. And then what happens when you slow down their premier, their, their fast, their, their best people? You set yourself up for success because you are getting them away from what their identity is. You're getting them away from their natural rhythm. You're getting them away from what they do best at. You are trying to minimize where they are excellent at. You know that they are not going to be lousy. If you will go up against a good team and you just pray that they don't show up, you're a fool. You're a fool. And, and sometimes, like we've been on that end of it, actually, in a couple of championship games, but you usually expect your team to show up and play pretty well, and you're expecting somebody of a similar caliber to show up and play well. So all you can do is try to minimize what they're really good at. You want to make the quarterback uncomfortable. You'll hear that phrase used a lot, uh, the people that are screaming at the TV. If you can hear beyond the screaming, the announcers sometimes will say something like, they're really doing a good job of making the quarterback uncomfortable. Well, uncomfortable means you have a group of 300-pound men coming in to pummel you on every play. That is a strong, maybe just understatement of discomfort. Like, that is painful. And so you want to take that person outside of their normal headspace, and you want them worried about the 300-pound monsters coming at them so that it enters their head and it affects their play, right? And so if we can minimize that, if we can make them uncomfortable, if we can force them out of our, their identity, then we have a better chance to execute and win. And so what did LSU do versus Clemson the other night? For those of you that did watch the game, Clemson got into LSU's head. They couldn't score. And this is a scoring machine. I don't know that we could have beat them if we got there. That's beside the point. Clemson did a great job of getting them outside of what they were really good at, but then gradually, and I made sure of this before I fell asleep, LSU took over. I wanted to have happy dreams, not nightmares. There still weren't real tears from Lawrence and Dabo, but that's beside the point. I went to bed watching LSU get back into the rhythm, who they are, what their identity is, and then like a boss, they just start owning the field and they just own the game for the rest of the, for the, rest of the game. Friends, we have an enemy. That enemy wants to destroy you. I, I can't sugarcoat this. I wouldn't be doing you any favors. That enemy wants to destroy your daughter. That enemy wants to destroy your son. That enemy wants to destroy your loved ones, your parents, your neighbors. The, he, that's what he does. There's a couple verses that give us pictures of this in both the beginning and the end of the Bible. In Genesis, it's described as someone who's waiting outside the tent to just jack up your day and to get you and then in john 10 10 we we hear this description that that the enemy exists basically to steal kill and destroy that is what he wants to do 
Now, get this. He wants to destroy us, just like when we're going up against, and it's just, it's just a game. I know that. I do cry real tears occasionally over it. But in a game of football, you want destruction over your enemy. You really don't expect it. You're hoping just for a win. And so, in this case, the devil knows that we belong to God, and if he cannot get destruction, if he cannot take your life, he doesn't just walk away. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Oh, excuse me. I didn't realize that you were one of God's kids. I'm just going to move on over here. No. Oftentimes, when you become, here's some encouragement to get saved this morning. Often when you become a Christian, and you yield your life over to the leadership of Jesus Christ, usually he ramps up his attacks. And if you try to actually make headway for the kingdom of God, and you begin to give your life away to other people for the, for the glory of God, you will often find that he rises up against you. And so if he can't destroy us, he will try to minimize us. If he can't destroy you, he will settle for distracting you. And so I've seen great people in God's kingdom just simply sidelined. Sometimes with very good reasons behind it, losing a loved one, uh, something uh, traumatic happening, uh, something financially happening, um, just being busy with a certain season of life, and, and next thing you know, boop, they're, they're, not, they're not relevant to the, to the spiritual battle that's going on because they've been effectively sidelined. So if he can't destroy us, he will try to minimize us, make us uncomfortable, to force us out of our identity. Say with me, not this year, Satan. One more time. Not this year, Satan. Like my t-shirt? Just says, not today, Satan. This came from the Hestrips, and uh, thank you. And uh, so they bought uh, one for me, Danielle, and Nicole, and, and I think their, their, their family. And so we're, we're on board with this thing. Um, I do have a, we have a date scheduled for the transplant surgery. It's February 19th, and so we've got a month, which is like, I wanted a date, but now like, I've got a date. And so it's like, yeah, so we are moving forward, and uh, so everything is officially in motion. We go up a week beforehand for like a couple more little, um, it's kind of scary. They call it like roadmaps, where like they actually like, determine how, like, this is what exactly we're going to do. And, and uh, so I guess it's good to have a plan before you are on the table. Uh, and uh, it's like, you don't want to see your doctor Googling anything, like, when you're, when you're going out, right? Like, I love the commercial. It's like, yeah, he's okay, right? Like, uh, I'm reinstated, like, today. And, and uh, so we've got the best of the best working on us. And, and um, you know, Nicole needs a miracle. And... Um, and our family is just, we're just trying to be obedient to God to, to, be our, to do our part. And uh, so we appreciate the support. But what is the victory that you need in 2020? So week one, we talked about faith. I want this to be a year of victory in my faith. I want this to be a year that I look back and just like Hebrews 10 says, we are not of those that shrink back. I love that verse. I am not somebody that backs off. Now, I can say that for most of my life because I was just a belligerent punk. Like, 
I would not back down from an argument. I would not back down. Like, I thought it was my duty to be the world's police officer. Like, um, and like, oh, you did some, you know, this is, this is my role in the world is to, is to correct all of the wrong things. And, and, uh, and, and don't, don't, you don't even want to argue with me. And so, thankfully, this thing, you know, this person called Jesus is in my life and changing me. And so now I get to be belligerent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as long as I remember to love the people that I'm around and I face the things that are coming my way and I say, I'm not backing off. And so I want this to be a year of faith. And, and that's something that we declared by going through with this. And we shared that last week. How many of you were here last week, heard Andrew teach on community? I appreciate that. Give him a round of applause. He's a great teacher. Really, really appreciate that. Today, we are going to talk about joy. Joy. Okay, so I'm at my other job yesterday, and I put up signs for a living. So, uh, like, we do mostly hospitals, and our largest uh, customer is Ohio Health, and so I'm in, like, every Ohio Health facility all of the time. And uh, so I'm up at Grady Memorial Hospital, which is in the middle of old Delaware, down there by Ohio Wesleyan. And, and I'm down there, and I'm, I'm in the uh, area near the uh, emergency department doors, and this lady gets pushed uh, on their little wheelchair buggy things and uh, she gets pushed towards the door and like it was a little cold yesterday and the, the guy was like he thought her ride was like waiting on her and he starts pushing her towards the door she goes I'm not waiting out in the cold he's like oh I'm sorry I thought your ride was here no I'll be fine just right over there I, I the guys are super polite yes ma'am yes ma'am yes ma'am so then she's over there, and we're working. We're putting up new lettering on the doors, and, and she's just fuming. She's just digging through her purse, and but angry digging. Like, you've seen mom do that, right? Like, I'm looking for something big enough to beat you with that actually hurts you, uh, but not one that sends me to jail. Like, I'm digging for something. I'm digging. So she's angry digging in her purse, and she looks over, and she goes, and uh, I, think, I think my guy uh, that I'm working with, George, he's like the nicest guy ever. He's like, you're having, I'm like, is everything okay? She goes, no, I'm just frustrated. And uh, like, she's upset. And uh, so she's just stewing. We got work to do and, and whatever else. Next thing you know, uh, she starts complaining to us about the bus system up there. And, and the one that moves people around, uh, maybe elderly or something, I think, that, that does a loop through town. We've got one like that in, in, uh, that does Pickerington and, and uh, down to Lancaster. She's like, it's just so aggravating. She goes, I'm that way two blocks, but the route goes that way, and I would have to take it the whole way, and then I'd have to change the bus. And that's just, like, she's bothered at that. And then she gets on the phone. And so now this really hits my ears. She calls her church. And she's like, is there somebody there that can give me a ride home? She goes, and she gives the little run through about the bus, about being there and, and not wanting, like, I just, it's just two blocks away. Isn't there somebody there that can give me a ride? I mean, not nicely asking, but like, isn't there somebody there? So then she gets off the phone. She complains a little bit more. We're working, working. A few minutes goes by. Oh, I wonder where he is. Oh, where's, where's that? A few more minutes go by. She calls the church back. I'm like, I know us pastors only work on Sundays, but we don't just wait around, you know, for phone calls. To, we're not like Ubers on command. Like, like it just doesn't work that way. And so she's fuming. I don't know what's taking him so long. The enemy wants your soul, and if he can't have it, 
he will try to take your joy. Why? Well, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if he can take your joy, then he knows you will be weak. Still saved. People still love you. You're still, you're, you're still moving, but you're weak. And it takes the very strength out of your life. And if you've ever been in situations like that where you just don't have any strength, that's a pretty bad day no matter what's going on, right? And so he will try to take your joy. Why? Because your relationships weaken, and when you are weak, you lose influence to the world around you. Why? Because no one's going to go up to some joyless, frowning, miserable person and say, oh, you go to church. Can I get some of that? Like, there's, no, there's nobody that's going to ask this lady for spiritual advice. And this is sad. I'm, I'm sad for her. She's, she's lost her influence on the world around her because she has lost her strength. Now, she probably has legitimate problems. And, and we have to remember that even when that verse was written, the joy of the Lord is my strength, this was written by Nehemiah, who was going through a rebuilding time for the nation of Israel. He was facing mountains of adversity. And he said it in that situation when he needed strength, when he was out of his own strength. And so we need the joy of the Lord because there are times when our, many times when our own strength will not sustain us. Not this year, Satan. Who wants to win the battle of joy in 2020? I do. I want to win the battle of joy because it is easy to misplace it at best for a few hours or a few days. It is also very easy to be like, oh my gosh, it's been 30 days since I really felt good about my life and what God's doing in it. Right? You can just slide down this thing so easily. And, and, and hours become days, become months, becomes a, sitting in a wheelchair by a door and nobody can do anything right. Right? That happens. And so what's the opposite of joy? It is not sadness. It's not. Sadness is the opposite of happiness. And having joy is not the same thing as being happy. And so joy is something that exists outside of the details going completely right. And so I am happy when the details of my life are going up. Five green lights in a row, happy, 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 happy. You give me three red lights in a row, I am fuming hot mad with the city of Pickerington saying, what moron designed this light system? This is terrible. This is garbage. I should be able to get through three lights. Do I have problems? Yes, I have problems. Thank you. But it's so easy to, to not be happy when the details go wrong. Having joy is not the same thing as being happy. Rick Warren says it this way. It's a little long, but I love it. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I need joy because I don't always have all of those statements running full tilt in my life. So happiness is when the details are all going right. Joy is trusting God regardless of how the details are going. Okay? And so the opposite of joy then is actually bitterness and depression. And this is crippling the church because if you and I are weak because our joy is lost, then you have a part of the body that's just kind of, you know, believe me, I wake up with like, okay, why is my foot hurting so bad when I hit the second step going downstairs today? Like, this is dumb. Like, I really want my foot to not feel that way. And so that begins to affect my whole body. Yeah, this is, you know, problems in my 40s, you know, can't wait. Here we go. But like, when one part of my body is weak, then it begins to wear me down. And so the Bible describes us as the body of Christ. And so as a pastor, I have the privilege of being usually on the inside of, of many people's lives. And, and sometimes you don't even have to have the, the upfront view. You can see this coming as people walk towards you, and you can see that life is kicking their tail. And they are dragging in and and it, it's and I'm believe me, we want you here. We'll 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 do our best to to try to encourage you. But you can see that when it comes in. And so so many of of my friends and people that we take care of, and even in this church, are facing monumental illnesses and problems. And and the thing that when they carry on over time, then it begins to wear on that person. And you see. Joy just gradually, if not immediately, depending on somebody's walk with the Lord, it, it just eventually it, it erodes. And so we've got to fight for this. God wants you to be encouraged today, even if joy is only a distant memory. Psalm 30, 11 says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. God is not afraid of our wailing. He's not afraid of our illnesses. He's not afraid of our pain. He's not bothered by our bad days. He's not turned off from us when we are miserable over something that really causes us hurt, either spiritually, physically, emotionally, or something like that. He is not bothered with our emotions. And some things are painful. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. That is legitimate. And God says, I will turn your wailing into dancing. I want to clothe you with joy. Psalm 126.6 says, those who go out weeping, oh, this verse is awesome, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. So let's get this picture right. So God is not afraid of our emotions. He's not afraid of our weeping and our wailing and our mourning. If you lose somebody dear to you, you better mourn or, or it can hurt you long term, right? And so there are times for it. The Bible teaches that. There's a time to cry. There's a, there's a time to laugh. But it says that when you go out with seeds of this and you're trusting God with your life, you're going to bring back a harvest, of joy because we're trusting God with our lives so how can we keep 
or reclaim our joy in 2020. We're going to go on a Bible journey today. We're going to bounce around a little bit. I want you to write down these four words if you're really cool and taking notes. Uh, Presence, unity, trust, reproduce. Presence, unity, trust, reproduce. Number one, presence. We need to spend time in the presence of God. Let me go to 1 Chronicles 16.27. Now, I've got my little markers all here because I prepared, and uh, so I'll try to give you guys a minute. But 1 Chronicles 16.27 says this, Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, we we just sang that this morning, there's freedom. Why? Because there's strength and there's joy. That's where, that's God's house, His presence, joy is there. So if you're down on joy, if you're fighting to retain your joy, if you're trying to reclaim joy that was lost, spend time in the presence of God. And this is a great start here on Sunday morning, but can I tell you that, that if you just do this for an hour and a half a week, that's not a whole lot of input of joy into your life. And you might have other things that make you happy, but you've got to go to the presence of God for joy. You've got to spend time with Him, however that looks like, whether it's worshiping, reading, praying, all the above. Spend time in the presence of God. Psalm 21.6 says this. It says, You have endowed Him with eternal blessings and given Him the joy of your presence. God wants to be with us. It says before Jesus came uh, to to earth as a baby, it says that his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. In the presence of God is joy. Acts 2.28, I don't mind reading these to you. This is good. Acts 2.28 says this, you have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. We need to spend time in the presence of God. If your joy meter is pegging empty, if just like your car, it's like you've got 30 miles left before you're left on the side of the road, you dummy. Like, get to the gas station. It's available. God has made his presence available to us. And by his grace, it's, it's, you can access it now. And you can, anywhere you're at, it's, it's an amazing thing. Number one is presence. If you want to re- protect or reclaim joy, spend time in the presence of God. Number two is unity. So appreciate Andrew teaching on community last time, so I'm going to be brief on it. If uh, you want to dig into this, please re-listen to last week. Uh, He does a deep dive on community. Um, But unity, we need to spend time with other believers. Now, we need to make the sacrifices necessary for unity, because guess what? You and I are not going to agree on everything. 
And if you've been married for more than a day, you find out you don't agree on everything with your spouse. Hopefully you knew it before you got married, so it wasn't like, surprise! You don't. You're not going to agree on everything with your boss. Duh. You're not going to, right? There is no other person on this planet that you are going to just 100% naturally get along on every topic of discussion and anything. Not possible. So what has to happen for you to be in unity with that person? You have to sacrifice some of your preferences or to at least hold back on some of the things. If, I mean, if you want to be happily married, you, you, you keep your mouth shut sometimes, right? Come on. Right? I tricked you. Now you're in trouble. You give up something for unity. You give up something of yourself to get along with the people around you. It's hard to be a part of a church. At some point, somebody's going to hurt your feelings, most likely me. And it never fails that somebody who thinks I'm the greatest preacher, all of a sudden they're not getting fed when I hurt their feelings. Why? Was that too personal? Why? Because unity costs us something. We have, to, we have to tone something down in order to stay around somebody else. Now, I think when it comes to worshiping, you should try to line up as best as you can. I really do. And I, I don't, that, I, that's why I have no problem with there being a gazillion churches and 30 just in Pickerington. Because there should be a group that you can run with and, and generally like line up with in a, in a lot of ways. And you, by all means, should marry somebody that you really agree with more than not agree with. And your closest friends are going to be people that you are more in line with than disalignment with. But you, it costs you something to be in unity. Let me read you Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Is this practical? Is this okay? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. If we want joy, we need to spend quality time with God and other believers, and yes, it will cost you something. Number one, presence. Number two, unity. Number three, trust. Trust is the foundation for joy. Let me go back to marriage as an example. When there is trust in a marriage, and I don't mean just specifically like the area of fidelity, but just trust that that person loves you. When you believe that that person has goodwill intended towards you, intended towards your house, intended towards your family, your marriage, your coexistence, when that trust is there, there's enough uh, rubber between the, the car and the road to, and some shocks to absorb some bumps. The bumps. The bumps. The potholes. There's enough there because you have trust in the relationship. And so that trust gives you a joy, even though you may not be happy that day. And you can tell the homes where there is a house of joy, and I'm not talking about where even the dog smiles. 
Like, no, but a place where you can feel like there's no, there's just no tension, right? And then we've all been in the homes where there is tension because the trust is gone and there surely is not going to be any joy and definitely nobody's happy at that point. And so, but if there's no trust and all you can do is grab moments of trying to make each other happy and how successful are you really going to be at that? Because we're ultimately going to let each other down in a pretty good ratio over time. And so it takes that trust to be there so that you are insulated from the harshness of the road of life, right? And so trust is the foundation. John 16, 24 says, ask anything in my name and you will receive it. And your joy will be complete. How does it say it up here? You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Why will you have abundant joy? Because you are involving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords with your desires. You are trusting him with the things that you are concerned about. You're asking in the name of Jesus to be provided for. You're asking in the name of Jesus for healing. That says trust. And if you're trusting God for the details of your life, then you will have a joy-filled life. Not pain-free. Difference. But you'll have joy. Romans 15, 13 says this. We got it? Oh, look at these guys. They're awesome. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you... Come on, because you, all right, better, in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to overflow with confident hope. That is victory. That's victory. And it says, because you trust in him. That's the foundation for joy. That's, the, that's like a key that unlocks it is when we trust him. If you want to protect or reclaim joy, number one, you need time in the presence of God. Number two, you need to spend time in unity with other believers. Number three, you need to trust God. Number four, reproduce. As a 44-year-old grandfather, I can tell you that one of my greatest joys is seeing my kids succeed. And then when I see my grandson walk or say my name more than most other people's names, <laughs> I'm so in trouble now, I go ballistic. Our greatest joy is that our kids are successful. And as a Christian, it is more important to me that my kids love Jesus than any figure that comes on their, on their paycheck from work someday, any title that ever comes next to their name, any size of house that they ever own or street that they live on. I want them to love Jesus and trust God with their life. And the moment I know they trust God, I have succeeded as a father. And so my greatest joy beyond anything that I have ever trusted God for is when I see my kids trust God. It is 
It's crazy. And it's just going to become exponential when I see another generation. It says this, our, uh, our greatest joy and complete joy comes when we see the people we influence have joy. Because the opposite is true, right? Is there any greater failure than when your kid is failing? That's painful. When your kid is struggling with something, uh, when they're dealing with, with something, it you are like, I'll take every other success and trade it for those moments, right? Because that's when I feel like my, my greatest failure is, is if my kids fail. The opposite is true. My greatest joy, my complete joy, is when I see joy in the lives of people I influence. When I see the light come on in my kids, when I see the light come on in in the team that we disciple here at church, our our amazing staff, when I hear stories and testimonies and see lives being changed in this church, I do a happy dance. It It is fulfilling to me. Because it's, it's greater than any success I would have. In uh, 3 John 1.4, it says this. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. That'll ring your bell. Like, that'll do it. There's nothing better than when your kids are on the right track and something goes the right way and they lock in, they, they, do, they, they make the right decision, most importantly for Christ, but then they begin to lean on Him and let Him lead them down their life's road. Paul in Philippians 4, it says that he refers to the churches as his joy and his crown. That's amazing. That means that the fruit of his ministry, that's that's it. That's the prize. He refers to, to the people that he's discipling as his crown. And the Bible, even there's a proverb about the about the, our children just being basically like a crown to us. Like that they're they're they glorify us in, in their success. And and same with same spiritually. In Luke chapter 15, we've got this series of stories about things being lost and things being found. That's where the story of the prodigal son is. It's where the story is of a shepherd who's missing one of his sheep, and he leaves the 99, and he goes after the one. There's also a story about, it says uh, that, that the person's looking for a lost coin. They only had so many. It meant everything to them, and they lost one. In each of those stories, the word joy is used in some manner. It says that when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, it says that he puts it on his shoulder and joyfully returns home. That's, I know joy is different than happiness because I'm not going to be happy carrying a sheep around my neck. But the joy of somebody lost coming home 
It says that when they found the coin, that they rejoiced. It says that when the dad saw the son at the end of the road, that he ran. There is nothing better than seeing the lost come home or the light go on in a soul. We're not just babysitting downstairs. We're not just teaching Bible nursery rhymes to the kids. We're not just keeping them busy so we can have it a little quieter up here. When you see the light go on in a kid's eyes and they claim Jesus for themselves, your joy will be complete. When you pray with somebody and all of a sudden you see hope inside of them for the first time in a long time, your hope will be complete. When you go out of your way and you serve and you give of yourself and you share the love of Jesus with another person and you see the light come on, your joy will be made complete. That's why we serve. That's why we pray. That's why we go. If you want a victory of joy in 2020, let's spend time in the presence of God. Let's spend time in unity with each other. Let's make decisions that express our trust in the Lord. And finally, let's reproduce joy in another generation. Can we bow our heads and pray this morning? With heads bowed in this room, worship team will be making their way up here so you'll hear a little bit of noise, but I just want you to, I just want you to zero in on Jesus this morning. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Where you're at, where are you at this morning? If you had a, if you have a gauge on your dashboard and it just is for joy, where's it at today? Where's it at? Not where do you want it to be at? Where are you pretending it's at? Where is it at? you need a joy victory in 2020 would you raise your hand this morning I want to pray with you I see hands all over this room declare it we got to fight for it it's not just going to come and land on your lap you got to tell God you're 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 in this you're in this thing to win it God I need a victory of joy this year I speak the Father's God. I speak Father God's love to you this morning. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why would it be our strength? Because if you know that your Father in heaven loves you, just as a child knows that he's loved in his home, it gives us the strength to navigate the world when we know we belong, when we know who we are, when we know we are loved. It gives us our strength. So Father God, I pray for a supernatural revelation of your love in this room this morning.
God, those that have feel, felt neglected, those that have felt looked over, those that have felt unworthy to receive a touch from you, those that have felt that they can't even, shouldn't even bother you with the request that they're concerned about. Father God tells you he cares this morning. He's the person that rejoices over the found coin. He's the person that will carry that dirty, stinky sheep around his shoulders joyfully after finding him. He's the one that runs to the end of the road when his son comes home. He loves you this morning. Father God, I pray for your joy to supernaturally be relevant in, in the hearts and lives of the people in this room. God, we declare our decision to fight for a victory of joy. God, we are determined to spend time with you. We're determined to spend time with others. We're determined to trust you in areas that we've not trusted you before. And Father God, we are determined ultimately that our joy would be complete by seeing joy in the lives of people that we influence. Because God, when we're giving it away, it's really hard to be focused on ourselves. God, we thank you for a touch of your joy this morning. With heads bowed, if you've never trusted Jesus, with your soul, if you've never trusted him to be Lord of your life, if you've never had him forgive you of your sins and all the things you've done wrong, and you've never told him that you love him, and you've never received his love, is today the day you would cross that line of faith? Is today the day of salvation for you? If it is, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. You're ready to say yes to Jesus and his great love for you. Father God, we thank you for this service. God, we thank you for this series. God, we thank you that you want and provided victory for us in our lives. The cross is our statement. The empty grave is our, is our theme song, God. We, we have victory available to us because the victory is yours. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to close with worship this morning. There are people here that want to pray with you. It can be any situation going on, something little, something big. It doesn't matter. Have somebody agree with you in prayer this morning over something that is going on in your life. God bless you.